Art of Time Ensemble presents Dance to the Abyss at Harborfront Center Theater, February 23rd to the 25th. Step back in time to the 1920s and immerse yourself in the decadent world of the Weimar Republic. Join us for a night of cabaret and jazz-inspired songs as we explore the music that once defined an era on the brink of catastrophe, featuring the work of Jewish composers Erwin Schulhoff, Misha Spolansky, and musicians Wallace Holiday, Kevin Turcott, Andrew Barashko, Drew Jareka, and more. Tickets on sale now at harborfrontcenter.com. Use promo code CABARET25 to receive 25% off your tickets. That's what it sounded like recently as I climbed up into the gray police mobile command post. Set up in the parking lot of a shopping center at Bathurst and Shepherd Avenue West. It's part of the Toronto Police Service's effort to make the Jewish community feel safer after October 7th in the aftermath of the Hamas terrorist attacks on Israel. Inspector Paul Rinkoff is my guide. Can you take pictures oh, of, the, uh, of the pictures? Of the, like kid, the, thank the you? kid stuff, just not any of this stuff. No, no. So. He's the commander of the Toronto Police Community Partnerships and Engagement Unit. He's a proudly Jewish police officer too, with 22 years in law enforcement under his belt, who's done everything from undercover and major crimes to forensics and the fraud squad. It's pretty loud in the RV. That's because the generators keep the mobile office running. It's definitely not fancy in here. There's a small desk in one corner where a police officer sits to meet with members of the public who come in to make a complaint or to ask for assistance. So the EM unit was flagged down at 12, 11 hours. 12, 11 is when they were advised by passersby. There's a scanner and a police radio, a bathroom, a microwave, and in the back, a small area with a padded couch for more private conversations. This command post has been operating here for coming up to three months since November the 21st. I think of the command post, what, what sticks in my mind is just the amount of gratitude that comes out from the community. People stopping by, sometimes with baked goods, uh, sometimes with pea soup. I think I was down there once and uh, had some homemade pea soup. But just the general gratitude uh, of community members stopping by and, and letting officers know there that they really appreciate their presence and, and their commitment to community safety. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, February the 20th, 2024. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Inspector Paul Rinkoff has been catapulted into the public spotlight since October 7th with bomb threats and hate crimes plaguing mainly the Jewish community, but also the Muslim community. Unrest roiling Toronto with over 340 street protests, 54 people arrested, 117 charges for hate crimes. Everybody's on edge. And in the middle of it, the Toronto police with Rinkoff on the front lines like never before. You may have seen him flanking Jewish leaders or Israeli diplomats and local politicians. He's done countless briefings with his Jewish liaison committee members. He even took them to lunch at United Bakers to meet the police chief, Myron Demkew. He's faced down a heckler berating Israeli-Canadian Liberal Cabinet Minister Yara Sachs during her speech at a Toronto synagogue. 
But Rinkoff's responsibility isn't limited to the Jewish community. He's head of the whole unit for community partnerships and engagement with all the minorities in the city, an extremely delicate job that requires a range of skills you wouldn't expect in the average beat cop. And that makes sense because Rinkoff's got a PhD in public policy from Toronto Metropolitan University, formerly Ryerson. He has a master's from Guelph. And while some of his colleagues may also have graduate degrees, Rinkoff could very well be the only one who eagerly participated in the Canadian National Bible Contest, or Chidon HaTanach, as a kid. He reads Hebrew. He's been to Israel several times. He went on birthright. He's visited Auschwitz. His parents are pillars of the Jewish community in St. Catharines, and he has two brothers in the force as well. To learn more about how Rinkoff is living through this difficult period in Toronto's history, I sat down with him in a quieter location at the Toronto Police Community Partnerships and Engagement Unit headquarters, which is actually located at the Yorkdale Shopping Centre. But for security reasons, I'm not allowed to tell you exactly where to find it. By the way, thank you for having me today. I really appreciate it. But this is our the Toronto Police Services Community Partnership and Engagement Unit at a secret location in our city. I also want to know about the the last name and your sort of yichis, your family origins, Rinkoff. There's a bakery in London, England, a famous bakery. Is that related to you? So that is. So it is related through my father. And we, I've made a personal trip to the Rinkoff Bakery in London, England. And I know he has. And I know some of my brothers have. So uh, very nice bakery. And how did your family end up here in Canada? What's the? So my family ended up here in 1988. We immigrated from England and settled in Niagara, a small Jewish community there. There was about 150 Jewish families at a time. Did you have a Jewish education when you were growing up? Like uh, bar, bar mitzvah, cheder, day school? How, what was the? I went to Hebrew school three times a week. Uh, I enjoyed it. And uh, I remember Probably the only one. I, I think I might have been the only one. I actually enjoyed Hebrew school and uh, you know, I read Hebrew. I remember entering a couple Bible contests because I was really interested in reading some of the Old Testament. And I remember uh, being a Jew in Niagara, being shipped up to Toronto to participate in these Toronto Bible contests, uh, which I didn't do too well in. But I enthusiastically went along with it. I yeah. did that too. I studied for the Chidon HaTanach, they used to yeah. call them. And I, besides the policing part of your life, I, you know, I did stalk you. <laughs> so I see that what your your most recent picture, besides meeting Tomer Capone from right. The Boys, oh my God, <laughs> is that you have a picture of you standing at the gates of Auschwitz with the sign saying, you know, we remember. Why did you put that picture up there? Tell me about when it was taken, what it means to you. So last year I had the very, very fortunate opportunity to return to Israel. It wasn't my first time. It was my second time. My first time was actually with Birthright. I was, uh, I was able to go um, with an organization, uh, Friends of Simon Wiesenthal, and we visited Poland and Israel. That was a photo I took uh, on one of the days. Um, and being International Holocaust Remembrance Day uh, last week, I thought it was appropriate to, uh, to post the photo and bring it bring attention to uh to those that were lost and let the world know that we're thinking about them and their families was policing always something you wanted to do yeah no great question originally i was really interested in forensics and so i really focused in on science and chemistry and biology and then learning more about policing i learned that to do forensics, to actually be at crime scenes, you had to be a police officer first, or at least that that's the way it was at the time. So I found myself entering into policing right out of university. 
In my uh, first few years, I was a scenes of crime officer, so I fingerprinted, I collect DNA samples. So I, I got to do uh, a lot of the forensic stuff that I was really interested in and eventually was promoted to a sergeant. And then I started becoming more interested in a leadership and policy and how it could possibly impact the organization. And my, and my particular PhD, the background is, is in policy. Uh, public policy and leadership and supervision. So uh, I feel that I can bring something else to the table in terms of how we can improve our services to the public. So with all that background and your, what did your job entail before October 7th? So I've been an inspector uh, for about six years and generally the role of an inspector is either to manage a unit or uh, assist someone else manage a unit across the organization. It can be any unit. So I've worked in corporate health, I've worked in financial crimes, but one of the roles that I do on top of my regular day job is I chair uh, what we call the Community Consultative Committee for the Toronto Police Service, and the one I chair is the Jewish Community Consultative Committee. And that committee was formed about two to three years ago. But even prior to that, in my first assignment as an inspector, uh, I became involved in relationships with uh, Jewish community leaders and Jewish community organization and Jewish community residents uh, locally. So, for example, I was an inspector at 53 Division, which is a Young and Eglinton. I was an inspector at uh, 32 Division, close to Young and Steeles. Uh, and there's uh, quite a large Jewish diaspora, as you know, in those areas. So it was an opportunity uh, to really get to know many of the Jewish community leaders. So it, it really all came together almost organically, almost naturally. And my role prior to October 7th was really um, working with community leaders, particularly Jewish community leaders, and, and dealing with issues that impact community safety for everyone, but also uh, Jews who live in Toronto. So you go pretty much have, I guess, a, a good running start for October 7th, because you pretty much knew everyone already. What changed for you when October 7th happened? Did your day-to-day -day have to change? And if so, how? I think you said it best. I had a running start. So I had already developed um, a significant amount of relationships with Jewish community leaders uh, and community organizations in Toronto. And so it was only uh, a matter of a short period of time where I was being contacted at home by many Jewish community leaders. Like that day? That day, that morning, by Jewish community organizations already relaying their concerns, their fear, their fears, uh, some of the issues that were already being experienced, and asking uh, what the Toronto Police Service was doing, how we could support the community. And around the same time, I started getting communication from my own police service, who rely on me and other members, but uh, specifically me, on uh, commu uh, sharing communications, messaging um, uh, with the Jewish community and asking me what can the service do to support the community. Did you know this was going to be different than any other protest in 2021, for example, sure. like in the summer? When, like, when did it occur to you that this was something world-changing? I think I knew it was going to be more significant just because the uh, escalation and conflict was just much more significant, right? There was a clear immediate day need on day one. 
in terms of what our communities, both Jewish and Muslim communities, needed from the police service. Uh, day one, it was quite evident. Right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes it's more about reassurance than actual physical threats. But there were and are physical threats. There, there were physical many, threats. hundreds of them. And we can't only measure the threats from a Canadian or a Toronto context. So for there were communities all over the world that were already experiencing real threats in response to October 7th or were about to. And so just because it happens in the United States or it happens in Europe doesn't mean those same concerns aren't shared here. So, but yeah, so it, it's, it's just really about addressing the, you know, individual community safety needs. So when we're talking about actual issues as opposed to fear, can you walk us through some of the steps that are um, physically being done that actually is helping to make people safer? Sure. So uh, we have a number of officers since October 7th. So immediately officers were redeployed throughout the service to a project that carried a few different names. Right now it's called Project Resolute. Okay. And this is a service-wide, all-of-service response to the conflict. And essentially, it involves redeploying officers on a daily basis to increase their visibility, to increase patrol in areas, uh, in, in areas that are um, significant to the Jewish community and to the Muslim community. And these include uh, institutions, organizations, businesses, uh, um, religious facilities, right? So we have officers that were visiting them uh, day and night. Like patrolling. Patrolling, but all knocking on doors, going inside, going inside religious facilities, ma making themselves f familiar with the facility, also introducing themselves to the leadership at those facilities. And so we... We've done that since October 7th. That's been a repetitive daily event since October 7th. But we still see instance of hate crimes going on. So all this visibility, how, if at all, can it prevent or uh, diminish attacks and things like this on the Jewish community, in your opinion? Right, so I think... Because that's a big concern. It's like, they're there, but then protests are still happening. So people are upset. Right, so... So increased visibility, I don't know if there's a direct correlation between increased visibility and reduced protests. I think that's something different, but uh, we hope that increased visibility uh, deters the likelihood of a hate crime occurring. So uh, if one does occur, there's an increased likelihood that, one, uh, that someone will report it because hopefully uh, they'll see an officer pass by. Or So when we're out patrolling, when we're increasingly visible, we're also promoting reporting of hate crime. We give out business cards, we give out uh, stickers and flyers, uh, instructions how to report hate crime. We also uh, just put the hate crime graffiti reporting online. So you're actually able now just to take a quick photo of a QR code or go to a website and report the graffiti online, which improves our response time and the commencement of the investigation uh, is, is so much more immediate. When you had to deal with the protests, I guess you as the police, had to deal with the overpass protests at the Avenue Road 401 and some of the other ones. That got international attention, not in a good way in some parts, for the way that Toronto police officers handled and tried to de-escalate or whatever the situation. What happened in-house after that? What was the feeling of the officers? Do you know uh, how they felt the sort of huge public scrutiny and outrage? And do you think they thought it was unfair? Yeah, for sure, absolutely. And first off, uh, you know, uh, in terms of the what what the officer did that day, I'm sure there was uh, nothing but good intentions from that officer. I can understand how uh, the uh, 
how that appeared to the community. And I certainly um, received a number uh, or a lot of feedback from the community um, that day and uh, have heard the feedback constantly since the incident. Was there discipline? Did they get a policy change? What happened? And we just to our listeners, it's the one where the officers were taking video, you know, handing over a delivery of Tim Horton's coffee that they didn't pay for. It was just helping somebody give it to the protesters. What, what I think puts it best, um, at least from my perspectives, is the acknowledgement. Uh, I acknowledge, the organization acknowledges, the chief acknowledges that the community had great concern about what happened that day. And uh, I'm aware that the chief did apologize. And uh, I think the chief uh, responded in the correct way. And uh, it's time to move forward and, and keep ensuring that we, uh, we prioritize public safety and uh, hold those who, uh, who don't respect the safety of our community members and uh, residents and individuals attending protests accountable. The Civil Liberties Association of Canada said that those protests to sort of ban them or curtail them is a bad look and bad for democracy. How does that jibe with what the police are doing? Because they did make a conscious change to start rounding people up. Sure, and I understand there's a lot of legal opinions out there right now, and I think um, how I will respond is saying that for every single protest, whether planned or unplanned, our priority is the safety of the individuals attending the protests, the community that's around uh, the protest, and and secondly, any potential damage to property. So our role really is to ensure that public safety peace and the actions and tactics that are used um, on that day, on that event, are made uh, with that as the priority. Don't take half measures when it comes to home security. Alarms and cameras work, but they'll only tell you that your worst nightmare just came true. Safety Screen by Metalex for windows and doors will keep your family safe and sound with real stopping power. They can't be cut, pride or bashed in so you can enjoy carefree ventilation in the spring and fall with peace of mind and protect your fixed windows and doors with rock glass an absolutely unbreakable clear covering call 416-638-2539 or visit metalexsecurity.com to book your free consultation that's m-e-t-a-l-e-x security.com remember prevention is always better than the cure from my non-police inside information, just from a civilian point of view, looking in from the outside, we've been covering this non-stop. There seems to me to have been some kind of change, and I don't know if that's true, and I, I, I warned you I was going to ask you this, between all the protests that happened in October, you know, taking over the gardener and harassing people and, and the indigo um, protests, and then all of a sudden after New Year's, there was like a flurry of arrests in the last couple of weeks, flurry of news releases about arrests from old incidents and some newer ones. Was there an actual policy change? How do you explain that? In terms of policy change, I don't know if there's a policy change. I think the the response of the Toronto Police Service has been evolving since October 7th. And uh, I think that response uh, is proportionate to the activities that we see at these protests. And I think there's just been an evolution. And along the way, strategic and tactical decisions have been made in terms of 
the response at protests, which are, are, are made on a case-by-case basis. So I think that's part of it. In terms of investigations, um, the, the, the chief had increased uh, the size of the hate crime unit um, very soon after October 7th, up to, I believe, about 21 investigators from six. So in terms of those investigations, uh, you know, I'm confident and I have direct knowledge that these investigations have been ongoing and just some investigations take time because uh, we're, as, as an organization we're methodical about how we do things and we want to ensure that our prosecutions are as strong uh, as possible and so these, these investigations do take time. When you sit up at night not with your twin toddlers because that's another thing what keeps you up at night about this whole situation one or two things yeah so i think what keeps me up at night is the potential for escalation escalation of violence so i think about molotov cocktails Uh, i worry about a visible jewish community member or even a visible muslim community member walking down the street and being assaulted i mean we had the arson and um potential fire hate crime at the IDF grocery. So it's already happened. Yeah, so we do see, so so we have seen some escalation. What about the kid in Ottawa who has a bomb-making equipment in his house and the terrorist 15-year-old? Again, these are the things that keep me up at night and uh, that we hope that we're able to deter, investigate properly, and prevent any of this type of activity moving forward. Have you personally been in the subject of physical or even online threats because of your high-profile role? So in terms of uh, threats, uh, I receive, uh, you know, some pretty nasty stuff in, uh, on social media. Like? Um, just a lot of name-calling and... and uh, because of your Jewishness? Jewishness uh, and my police officer identity and uh, probably the two of them coming together and uh, anti-government stuff. You know, unfortunately... It's not just me. It really, uh, many, uh, many leaders who who are in the community, uh, who also identify as Jewish, have have seen a huge increase either in um, in threats or just in really bad, mean name calling, and it's it's really really hard. So you try not to spend too much time looking at it. And what about your own personal journey in terms of being Jewish? How have you, if at all, been impacted by this, and has it changed you? Or strengthened it, or uh, having twin girls recently, and visiting Auschwitz and seeing some of the horrors, and again intertwined with having children, it's just made that experience much more emotional. And then again, of course, October seventh, and uh, listening to the fears and realizing that I'm also a resident of Toronto, um, having the same fears. Um, having a wife who um, asks, do you think it's safe to have the mezuzah on the front door, right? So really experiencing the same things that many of our community members are experiencing. It, it really, you really identify with the community that you're serving and with, with your faith. Did you take the mezuzah down? No, I didn't. But the compromise was I installed a number of cameras on the outside of the house. I'm sure lots of other people did. So what is it exactly that you do day to day now that October 7th happens? So we manage the Community Partnership and Engagement Unit, and our unit is responsible for uh, strategic community relationships across 
our organization. So uh, we manage relationships with all communities across the service. We also have a lot of our liaison officers here. So we have a Jewish liaison officer. We have a Muslim liaison officer. We have an LGBTQ2S plus liaison officer, and the list goes on. Uh, we house those all at the Community Partnership and Engagement Unit. And our neighborhood policing program is administrated out of this office uh, along with the Aboriginal Peacekeeping Unit. So this is basically Diversity program. Central right here. We, yeah, so, we, so on top of that role, which and we have about, I'd say, 50 to 55 individuals that, that work here, 50 members, uh, sworn and civilian, that work here. I co-chair the Jewish Community Consultative Committee. How many people are on that, by the way? So I, so I co-chair it with my friend Michael Levitt, and we have about 14 or 15 members, and they're members of the Jewish community. Uh, many are leaders, uh, or they are um, religious faith leaders, uh, they, or they lead uh, community organizations. And we get together periodically, but we also uh, get together in response to issues, of course, such as October 7th. So this existed before. This October existed 7th. before. You just ramped it up. We ramped it up in terms of frequency. Um, I saw you met at um, United Bakers once. Well, we do, we do have, uh, <laughs> I'd say, like uh, small meetings uh, of group members, uh, and we do meet community members in the community. I think that's the best place that we do. We do, uh, we do get to meet pea them. Pea soup or potato soup? It was pea soup or cabbage soup. Those oh, were my options on the day. We're all pea soup people. There's so I think I did go with the pea soup that day. <laughs> I do. But next time I will do the cabbage soup because uh, I've heard they're both fantastic. And uh, we also rely on, our, on these uh, community leaders who give up their time to help us with messaging because that committee, the membership in that committee, has much greater reach than the Toronto Police Service. Right. So, for example, if, is everything Jewish in Toronto on that? Because they should be. That, that's literally the big, on Facebook. They should be. So, so I know of the group, uh, but no, I don't think I'm we have an official them, representative. You should, because literally there's 50,000 people that are on it. But anyway, so a point about the, the, the command post, and that's our last question. So the other day, people drive up and down Bathurst. They say, oh, the command post is missing from Bialik. What happened? And everyone freaks out, which is what's been going on um, on Shabbat. So can you just explain why that is missing and is it going back? So you are correct, it is missing, and I will solve the mystery right now. Um, it needs a repair, it's as simple as that. So we have put a temporary vehicle there, which is much smaller, while it's being repaired at our fleet. I understand uh, the repair should be done soon and you'll see the command post return. There you go. And there's one at the Muslim community that moves as well, right? That's right. So we have a mobile one uh, that is servicing uh, the needs of the Muslim community, in particular on Fridays, which is the, uh, uh, the most frequent um, worship day. So in, that, in this case, we, we uh, leverage our, you know, our Muslim liaison officers, our relationship with our Muslim uh, community, and ask our Muslim communities, here, we have a command post. How is it best used? And that's how, how we move forward. Really appreciate this time. Thanks for being on the CJN Daily. You're welcome. Back at the mobile police van at Bathurst and Shepherd, it was pretty quiet when I visited. One older man came in and complained about a repair bill he'd received, which he thought was a scam. Nothing to do with hate crimes. He didn't even appear to be Jewish. Then a lady with blonde hair knocked at the door and offered to buy the two duty officers coffee or something else to drink to thank them for keeping the Jewish community safe. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be happening. Men, there's nothing kind about mankind these days. But thank you so much. You're very welcome. The officers declined. It's been a non-stop outpouring of coffee and treats and fruit plates ever since the command post opened. 
One wall is full of handmade thank you notes. You can see they were made by local school children. Some of them read thank you officers. Some have an Israeli flag. A couple have figures of a police officer made out of magic marker. Officer Kayla Khan says she's heard an earful from community members about how they're experiencing what happened in Israel and what's been happening since here at home. In the very beginning, we had tons of people that would come in and express their experiences and how they were feeling and how having this command post here was really reassuring for them and their families and their communities. So, Can you say um, anything that happened that was upsetting to you or surprising in a bad way? Um, challenging? I wouldn't say challenging but there are a lot of emotions that are involved with um, a lot of other people's experiences about what's going on in the community especially the Jewish community so you know we just like to sit down and chat with everybody about what's going on and it's mostly them telling us <laughs> their experiences and going like for example like a holocaust survivor for example or Israeli um, person no, nobody that elderly but members like generations, maybe somebody's grandparents, they'll uh, speak to us about that. People that have just come from Israel, uh, we had a lot of great stories about that and what they experienced over there and how happy they were to be home and seeing us here, yeah, <laughs> was um, really reassuring for them just because what they had just experienced a few weeks back being in Israel. So how do you deal with that? I mean, did you have much experience with the Jewish community before you took this not took, we're assigned here? No, not necessarily, but it's great to hear everybody's stories and experiences and being able to get their first-hand opinions about what's going on. That's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. If you want to hear more about hate crime statistics and what the Toronto Police is doing to keep the Jewish community safe, the chief, Myron Demke, is scheduled to participate in a Zoom briefing on February 29th for B'nai B'rith. I've put the link to that in our show notes. If you have questions for Inspector Rinkoff or comments, send them my way. I'll be sure to pass them along. I'm at ebessner at thecjn.ca. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily.